Welcome to the Huntback Country podcast. In this episode, we welcome back Shane Vandergeesen to talk about mountain goat hunting. In the previous episode, number 371, we heard about Shane's background and his very first mountain goat hunt. And as you may have heard in that conversation, I found out at the end of our chat that he was going on another mountain goat hunt this fall in September of 2022. And after that hunt, I had an opportunity to speak with Shane again, and that is today's conversation. So this was partially to selfishly hear about Shane's experience in Alaska hunting mountain goat because his hunt was just a few weeks before my hunt, which I'm actually on right now as this is being released. So I was anxious to hear from Shane about his experience hunting mountain goat in Alaska. And yes, this conversation was somewhat selfish on my part, but there's so much again to learn from all these conversations. And I've always found it fascinating in this podcast to speak with people who hunt in different ways than I do, hunt different places and different species. And so I would just encourage you that maybe you're never gonna go on a mountain goat hunt in Alaska. Maybe you will. Either way, there's going to be something that you can pick up from this story to be informed by or inspired by. As always, we do appreciate you tuning in. If you have any questions for us, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. If you're enjoying the show, it would help us a ton if you could just share it with a friend and tell them about it. And if you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. Right now, let's dive into this conversation with Shane Vandergeesen. Was this your first trip to Alaska, period? Second. I did a, a Prince of Wales uh, deer trip back in That's 2013. Right. Uh, okay. And then this goat trip. And man, I, I, I'm ready to go back. I'll go tomorrow if I could. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Alaska definitely gets in the blood. The first time oh, yeah. I went was up in the Brooks Range. And then I've gone to Kodiak a couple times since. And it's, it's unfair to say like Alaska in a broad term because obviously there's so much diversity and all that but i've never been in the southeast and uh all I've done is southeast, and i feel like i basically hunt, hunt western washington on steroids is what i've done you know what i mean yeah, i could see that yeah, yeah and so it's like western washington except steeper wetter um foggier tougher weather that's essentially what you're hunting right not yeah. quite the same elevation but you know not that elevation is ever a problem in western washington either so yeah right <laughs> yeah did you, speaking of weather, did you have delays, like any travel issues, logistics? Oh, yeah. yeah. So travel was fine. Uh, you know, we getting into, getting into our area was just, it was storming like crazy. So the first two days up there was just pouring down rain. Um, you know, we were able to get the planes out, but we weren't able to actually get up into the Alpine. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, we were glassing from low up high and seeing goats, you know, in small breaks, but it was just blowing and windy. And finally day was it day three up there? We just said, screw it. We're going up. The weather's supposed to break today. It didn't break mm-hmm. for another day and a half, you know? Uh, yeah, and so we stayed up there in the rain and fog. And then it was like, oh, now it'll be good the rest of the week. And then a hurricane came in. And it like we in like 30 hours, we got five inches of rain. It Holy sustained at 55. And, then gust, and that was like down at the ocean, sustained at 55. And then gusts into the mid seventies. It was like literally holding down your tent. Like we would, you know, the gusts would come and you would grab the vestibule and just hold it down. So we're like, dude, this thing's going, this is where we're going. <laughs> what shelter were you running? 
I had Hilleberg three season. I should have okay. had the four. Uh, yeah. Not for not for cold, but just because you know it it just pitches coverage. tighter than stuff. Yeah, but it was it was a lot of weather. You know, I hunted. We were up there for a day and a half. Got half a day of visibility. Stopped the goat and passed. Weathered in for another two days. Got yeah. another half day of visibility and shot my goat. You know that that's wow. basically how it worked out. So. <laughs> Did yeah. uh, did the Hilberg? Obviously, it's a lot of wind and everything else. And you mentioned more coverage closer to the ground. Any yeah. issues with that much rain? Because that's, I mean, five inches is next level. I mean, we were we were dr- every single thing I owned was drenched. Yeah. Um, I mean, my sleeping bag, my clothes, my every time you take your boots off, you're wringing your socks out. Uh, your pa- the pack was drenched. We ruined two of our three camera lenses. We ruined one of our cameras. I mean, it like we were destroyed. You know, I took a video inside the Hilleberg at one point, and my buddy's like, "It looks like it's raining inside your Hilleberg because it's just so foggy. Like the it's just the mist is like coming up under the ground, and yeah. there was an empty water inside the tent. You know, because it, it was just running. There's nothing you could do. You know, every time you'd step out of the tent, you'd step on the ground and like water would seep over the top of your boot because that's how much water that's how saturated the ground was you know and so it you know i think that the four season would have helped because you have the floor that's huge Mm -hmm. um i think the four season would have helped because it pitches tight to the ground and less of the mist coming in you know you can actually get some ventilation in there and dry things out but we like we would set up like clotheslines on tripods inside our vestibule and like hang all our clothes on it. And it would not make one iota difference. There, yeah, it, it was, was so we wet, off, humid. We, yeah. I got back in, got back out again. So Dude. yeah. <laughs> so I have that to look forward to. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the, you know, I, I, I really believe that Southeast Alaska will test your gear more than any other place in the world. You know, there's yeah. nowhere that just has that amount of precip and that amount of, of brush. And, you know, it was unbelievable. Uh, you know, I, I hunt Western Washington all the time, like 15 years I've been doing that. And Southeast Alaska, like I said, is out in steroids. And so, uh, you know, we're, we completely are rethinking our entire gear list every time I, you know, after this hunt. And I'm just like, you know, and I can apply that to Western Washington on the bad weather days, but right, yeah, it's, right. it's a whole different ballpark. I mean, two sets of rain gear, we took full Heli Hansen and Grundens, you know, mm-hmm. and then also a stick of Gore-Tex set. And we were going back and forth between the two. And my guide was like, oh, yeah, in October, I take three sets of rain gear. Um, he's like, Cause you, you just need it. You know, it's the only way you're going to be comfortable. Uh, the one thing that I had never pack thought all that of. up the mountain? I took two, I took two, pack, two sets of rain gear up the mountain. Yeah. It was wow. so worth it. You know, because at least you got to put something dry on, right? <laughs> kind of. You know, after a while, they all get wet. But um the the one thing i never thought of i ordered it on like the second i got out was uh gore-tex socks i'd never even thought of it and my guide said that's the yeah. thing he said when, when your boots get wet up there there's nothing you can do right you can have the most waterproof boots ever they're going to get wet he's like at least then you can have you know you can put your feet into wet boots and you're not getting cold feet right you can feel it squishing in there but it's not getting to your skin Mm-hmm. Um, so I have, I got a pair now, so I'm, I'm excited to try that out later, but it was, it was, I'm like, that's an easy thing to add in where, okay, now at least I have dry feet. If not, you know, if my boots are wet, at least my feet are dry. So mm-hmm. I've only messed with a pair briefly and they didn't fit me. So I never actually wore them, but now I'm going to have to like, see if I can get some before my hunt. <laughs> yeah. I literally like, I, that was the first thing I ordered when I got back to town. I was like, okay, Gore-Tex socks. That's going to be for next time. Cause I mean, so I, I, did I you get like seal skins boots. or something else? 
Yeah, like the, like the socks themselves, you mean? Yeah. I think yeah, I mean, like one of the brands I'm aware of is Seal Skins. They make like a waterproof sock. I don't remember what brand I got. I got on okay. Amazon. But yeah, All they right. look pretty slick. But I, I got them in the mail. They look pretty slick. But right. but yeah, like, I snow sealed my boots like the day before I left. Like, you know, and I take the blow dryer to my boots. I get that. Like I put like the snow seal. I put half a container of snow seal in a pair of boots, you know, because that's what I need in Western Washington. It didn't, mm-hmm. it lasted 12 hours. You know what I mean? And but and after 12 hours, I was already getting them wet, you know, and, and coming down, you're, you're sinking ankle deep up in mud and that, like, you're just soaked. <laughs> There's just nothing you can do about it. <laughs> uh, you mentioned, you mentioned you're there spotting goats from the bottom, finally decide to pack in. And then you mentioned a stock that you passed on. Mm-hmm. Tell us the story there. Was it just not a bill okay. you wanted to take or? Yeah, so we had we had glass from the bottom. This there's this one rock that this goat this 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 group of three goats, and I think two of them were one is probably the same size as the one I got. One was significantly larger, at least from two miles distance, right? And and you're really judging primarily off body size at that point in time, not so much off horns. You can see the horns, right? You can get an idea, but it's okay. Does it have a Roman nose? How does the body compare to the surroundings, to the other goats in the area, that kind of thing. And this one goat, I mean, I'm convinced he would have been a world record with a bow. I mean, just a hundred percent convinced of that. And he went by two nights in a row. The it came up five o'clock PM starts feeding out of the timber, comes out of the cliffs feeds into the alpine goes right by this rock this prominent bluff 35 yards away and we were like just gotta go sit there we're gonna get a shot at him like we got a chance here and uh, and so that's the goat we were after so we went up there sat there the first night in the fog and rain getting you know 300 yard visibility and then it would blow in again and just like well maybe he'll walk by uh never came by so we're like well maybe the weather held him out let's try again tomorrow the next day it's foggy not rainy we sat up there all day got all different angles in this basin you know four o'clock rolls around we're like okay any minute now he's gonna step out we can see where he comes out of never showed never showed finally 7 6 45 7 p.m we're like okay let's Maybe he's just late. Let's drop down into kind of where he's been coming out of these cliffs and yeah. let's see if we, you know, at least then if he does step out this evening, we'll be in positions. If we wait for him to come up here, it, it'll take too long. It'll be dark by then. And we dropped all the way down in there, walked up, got, you know, spotted a Billy. And, you know, at first we were considering it and kind of got set up for it. And then as he got closer, myself and the guide both were like, I think he's maybe four to five. He's not going to be a booner. He's not what we're going after. And this is my first, you know, it's the first 12, six hours I've had visibility this whole hunt. You know, it's supposed to get better here. Mm-hmm. But and I said to the guy, well, maybe if he comes at 20 yards, I might consider it. I, I really wasn't, you know, but he, he, did come to, he came to about 45 and then I drew back just kind of for, you know, to practice and never actually put the arrow on him, you know, just kind of, you know, and he, he stood there and looked at me and hopped to 55 and then looked some more. And it was just, yeah, he had a two year old with him and uh, the big one, the two big ones in that hill just never came out, you know, so. We waited again the next day in the hurricane. We went out there at five just to see maybe he'll come. Although he would have to be within 10 yards to shoot in that weather. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, just the wind. You know, never, never came out that night. And then the next morning we had some visibility. We went out again and still no visibility. And we're just like, okay, we have this other Billy spotted. He's not in as good of a position, but at least he's, you know, he's a shooter. So let's, let's go try that one. And that's the play we made. So that, that was kind of the decision, but yeah. um yeah we, we hunted that billy for four days you know a lot of it in fog and wind but we he just never showed again that you know i don't know if he got our scent i don't know if the, i mean they're they're smart and big for a reason so 
never got yeah. shot at him. So yeah. <laughs> never even stung, you know, in person. Were you expecting as much? I, I mean, obviously it's Alaska, it's Southeast Alaska. You've been up there a bit, but were you expecting that much like weather and difficulty and downtime that's interrupting what you feel like is your ability to hunt? Or was that hard to, to deal with? I was expecting it and it was very difficult is the answer. Yeah, so both, yeah. <laughs> you go to Alaska, expect delays, right? You're waiting yeah. on planes, you're waiting on weather, you're waiting on access, all that kind of stuff. And so I knew it. Um, and I, I feel like I'm relatively well prepared for rain. I've survived a lot of rainstorms. This may have been one of the worst ones, but I've survived them. You know what I mean? And so one thing I actually, I read, I listened to a podcast. This was years ago. Of, it was the sports psychologist of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he was just talking about how he, um, you know, how you prep people, sports psychology, right? And really he talked through how this can apply to hunting. You visualize what you're going into, visualize your delays, you know, literally essentially meditate, put yourself in that position. So I done a lot in my head of, okay, stuck in a tent, pouring down rain, everything I own is soaking wet. All of that I was prepared for the waiting kills me. Uh, mm-hmm. and my, my hunting buddy who I'm with, he was texting our other, you know, mutual friend and he was like, dude, Shane's ADD. Like he, like it was foggy. And I think I walked three and a half miles in like a hundred yard circle around the tent before anyone else got out of the tent, because it just kills me just to be sitting around. Like I'm not good at that. And yeah. so that part I wasn't prepared for mostly because I don't think I can prepare myself for that. I'm just, I was so excited for this hunt that yeah. the waiting part, the, but as far like, the entire hunt beginning to end, I never didn't have a smile on my face. Like every single thing I own is soaked. I'm slipping in the mud. I'm soaking wet, you know, where our tent is drenched. And I was just like, this is the best thing I've ever done because I just, I love it so much. And I prepared well enough for that, that none of that got to me mentally, just the waiting. I'm just not good at waiting. And that's really all it is. My, my buddy had just done a grizzly hunt in the spring and he was like, don't ever go on a grizzly hunt. You're going to drive yourself crazy. <laughs> so that's a we lot sat of downtime days he's like you're gonna you're gonna go crazy <laughs> i'm like okay yeah i know i know yeah i mean that's where it's hard as much as i've known this hunt is coming for me obviously the closer it gets the more real it gets mm-hmm. and then you just start i mean i've been doing exactly what you described like all right as excited as i am like i want to be in the headspace and it's not negative it's just real of like anticipating all the stuff that can go wrong probably will go wrong that will be frustrating and just like basically as you said like it's just part of it it's part of the experience like you need to expect it um embrace it in almost a way welcome it like it's coming and then realize that that's that's all it's all part of it in the sense that you still need to appreciate it like even though it's not what you want or it's uncomfortable it's whatever you got to appreciate it because that's what makes the whole thing what it is and i always say like two kind of two parts one what are the trips you remember the most the ones where you suffer the most it just it sticks in your memory better but two i said it when we're up there it's like i wouldn't want this any other way like we're you know we're i take full acknowledgement of what we're doing we're hunting we're killing an animal to provide sustenance for my family and the work that you put into it, that packing that hundred pound pack up a cliff with a 50 degree slope with an ice axe and crampons, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. I wouldn't want it any other way. And that's the part you can't communicate to the non-hunters or the people that don't 
don't understand what it is that we do. It's like, I'm like, that's part of it. Like that, that's what I want. That's what I love about being in the backcountry and hunting these animals on their turf is it's like, I want to work for this. And yeah, man, you put, you put the work in, (laughs) you know, there's no doubt about that. So I think when we talked before and listeners will probably hear this much more back to back in terms of the episodes, I think I'm going to release them back to back. So, uh, but it's been a little bit since we chatted about your previous hunt and then knowing that this hunt was upcoming, you were a hundred percent bow or nothing on this trip, right? There was no rifle. There was no plan. B. I had a rifle along. I didn't have a rifle in the mountain. I didn't okay. have it on the mountain because we, we had two mountains to hunt. And so I said, okay, first half of the trip, no rifle at all, but I'm not okay. going home without a bow. You know, right. uh, that was, you know, without a goat, like I, I do want to go here. Um, but I took no, I had no rifle on the mountain for this trip. The guide had a rifle. I did not, you know, they're like, it's Alaska. We don't go anywhere without a rifle. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But, uh, yeah, I was on this mountain, which was like there, they were like, this is a spot for a big goat. Like we can go get you a goat elsewhere, you know, later in the trip, if we didn't succeed on this mountain, it's a Mm -hmm. harder mountain to hunt. There's less goats on this mountain, but if you get, if you see, you're going to see multiple billies in that caliber you're looking for, which is a booner is what I was targeting. Um, so I was like, okay, this mountain, I'm taking my rifle, my, my bow, I'm going to commit to it, come back down in six days on a 10 day hunt and go into the mountain where there's more goats, less, less, gen- you know, the genetics, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take both, you know, and come day eight or nine or 10, you know, based off, depending on what the weather windows are looking like, if I have to, I'll pull out the rifle. That's kind of how I had approached it. Okay. But the other thing was, and I made this very clear to the guide is, well, I want to do this with a bow. It's because I'm very familiar with goats. I've, been with around goats my whole life i know i can stop close to a goat with my bow um it's not because i'm a purist from an archery standpoint and i made very clear from the very beginning because this mountain in particular had a ton of cliffs like 800 900 foot cliffs on it and i was like look if i have a wounded goat about to head into the cliffs i have no problem grabbing your rifle and dropping it like that is no hesitation this isn't about getting a the you know getting a pope and young goat this is about because i like that challenge of getting close Mm-hmm. Um, and that will come into play a little bit later. We'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was, you know, I, I wanted to get it with a bow, but not, not, you know what I'm saying? It's not about the archery kill. It's about, I felt like this is an animal I can do this with. That's, that's really what it came down to. So Got it. It, it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> what in your, if anything, what changed in your archery setup going into this hunt? And that could be everything from broadheads to arrows to, because of the terrain and the demands of mm-hmm. equipment like maybe you're like oh no i need a tougher side or rest or whatever i'm just curious like yeah. was there anything two years ago i shot this but for this hunt i changed and now i'm shooting that so i i need to be clear i'm not the best shot neither with a bow nor a rifle and i know that right it's something i for me with hunting i just love being in the woods and part of it like on the rifle going out and practicing with a rifle, it doesn't even sound fun to me. I know I have to do it. It's a necessary evil for hunting, but I just want to go exercise and be in the mountains. That's the two things I want to do. Right. And so with archery, I said, if I'm going to commit to doing this with a bow, I need to shoot my bow a lot. I've never put as many arrows through a bow as I have now. And even still, I feel like my effective range is about 50 yards. I can't go over 50 and I just need to know that. Right. Mm-hmm. I can't go over 50. I know guys, my buddy can shoot out to 120 yards and, and he's like, I will maybe want to do it on an animal, but if it was wounded, I wouldn't hesitate. And there's no way I could do it to 120. So knowing your range and that kind of thing, but I put 
3,000, 4,000 arrows through my bow this spring. I was shooting every single morning, you know, or evening, at least, you know, at least a dozen arrows a day, uh, but oftentimes way more than that. And just trying to nail it down. I knew if I was 40 yards and under, I was 99% going to hit kill zone. That 40 to 50, it was 95%, get above 50, and it all of a sudden drops to 80%, you know, and it's just like, I, I'm not going to do that. So that was the big thing. I got a new bow. I was shooting a Hoyt. Um, and it, it shot well for me out to that 50 yard range. I could never, and I don't know if it's the bow or me, probably me, you know, beyond 50, why I'm not good beyond there, but it was just shooting a lot, shooting broadheads a lot. You know, that was something in the past I was never great at. I would always shoot my target points and get to the broadheads and it's like, Oh wow, this isn't this, this isn't as accurate. I tried three or four different broadheads, found the ones that were shooting the best, numbered my arrows, found the arrows that were shooting the best, you know, all that kind of stuff. I really wanted to commit to it if I was going to go in with the bow and that paid off. The other thing was just shooting uphill and downhill. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would go out, you know, at my, my family's property in Eastern Washington, we have about a 40 degree slope and I had the arrow, I had my target set up 50 yards below and just over and over again. Every time I was there, I would bring my bow and shoot every single day downhill. And then I'd go back to the bottom of the hill and shoot back up the hill just to get used to those angles, which that absolutely helped because my shot was steep. It was, you know, a good 30 degree slope that I was shooting down when I shot. So nice. That's awesome to have, have the opportunity to do that. Like take advantage of shooting at those angles for sure. What's it? I'm just curious what broadhead did you end up settling on? Uh, The annihilator broadhead, hundred, hundred grand annihilator. Um, That was one I ended up settling on shot the best. Uh, I wanted to do a fixed blade. I actually never looked if it fixed was required in Alaska. I don't even know, but I I did try some expandables. They didn't shoot enough better to justify it. And I feel like with just the thick height of a, of a Billy, I just wanted that fixed blade. That was important to me. And there are, there are other places that I plan to archery hunt where fixed blades required. So I was kind of like, I'm going to tune my bow anyways. Yep. I might as well tune the one I can use everywhere. That would be, and I'm not shooting over 50, so I should be able to get it set right. up for a fixed blade. So. Yeah, sweet, man. I know we're bouncing all over the place. So you pass on that first one, uh, the first stock. You had that at 45 and then 55. And then I think in the story, you said more weather's coming in. After that, I guess let's just kind of pick up the story from there. It was supposed to clear. Like there, like the forecast said, no more weather. And then like Who's that the forecast is this like in the field from your in reach or just what you oh, saw before yeah. you? Were, yeah, yeah. So that that morning it said, hey, clear for the next four days. We're like, yes, we're gonna get our window. And then that afternoon we checked again. Like it's the no goats are coming up. We're getting bored. And we're like, wait. So there's a hurt. There's a freaking hurricane coming. Like it switched <laughs> in six hours to sunny to to five inches of rain. Um, and, and we partly like we we're looking at. They couldn't see a cloud. And I mean, you can see clouds, but you couldn't see a storm. And you're like, yeah. maybe it's wrong. Like why why is it saying this? You know. But we even we reach out to the outfitter, and he's like, oh yeah, it's coming. Be ready for it. It's coming. We're like, great. So we got up to the tent, and that night it was a beautiful night. Watching the sunset, watching the stars go down. Jack, that we'd gotten a close opportunity on a go, and we're like, well, suppose. It's going to blow. So we were batting down the hatches, you know, getting everything covered up, getting in our tent. And it was like an hour later, all of a sudden, just <laughs> the wind came up. And that next 30 hours, it it never stopped blowing like 50 miles per hour. Just, you know, and then you just get sheets of rain coming down. And it was unbelievable. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, waiting in the tent. Finally, in the afternoon, we got a, it was no break in the wind, but a little bit of a break in the rain. And I was like, I'm going out. I'm going to look around. And I could, you know, you could actually see because it was blowing so hard. The fog wasn't actually sticking around when there wasn't rain. 
and we spotted, you know, a nice, a nice buck bedded in the Alpine. I spotted a couple billies, but it was one of those, you couldn't even hold your spotting scope tight enough. Like the buck, the, the one buck in particular was like 800 yards away and we couldn't count points with a spotting scope because your spotting scope was just, you, you had nothing you could do about it. And we were like, we should go shoot it. Cause I did have a deer tag just in case. And uh, my guy was like, you don't want to shoot a buck until you get a billy. And I'm like, no, you're right. And also he's like, how are you going to shoot that thing? Like you'd have to be within like five yards. <laughs> shooting yeah. this water. So we didn't, we didn't stock it or anything, but it was, you know, it was at least fun to see, but um, it was blowing hard. And then that night, it, like throughout the day, our forecast is saying like 15 hundredths of an inch of rain an hour. It was way more than that. But then in the evening it went to half an inch an hour. And again, we're assuming double that, you know, cause the down in, in town, they got five inches over 24 hours. So whatever we got, I don't know what it was, but it was a lot. <laughs> it, it felt like a lot. So waiting it out. And then it, it said, wind's going to die around midnight. And it did. Like I went to sleep and then I woke up again and all of a sudden, like it was silent. It was like, what's going on? Like, this sounds weird. You're, you get so used to that. You know, That is an noise. eerie feeling when it finally yeah. ceases. Yeah. <laughs> but even still the fog didn't clear to the next day till about 11 a.m. So we were still, you know, we were stuck with the fog until 11 a.m. that next day. So. How were you? So we talked earlier, right? Like you want to be out. It's hard to wait. What were you doing to help pass that time or deal with it? Um, my buddy and I, you know, I had Bluey. I don't know if you watch Bluey with your kids. Oh, I had Bluey downloading my phone. We watched oh, a few yeah. episodes of Bluey. Uh, <laughs> right. I have a Kindle I always take along because I know I'm ADD and I'm not good at sitting. So my Kindle can give me, you know, 10 days of battery life and I have 100 books on there. So I read three books, I think. Um, you know, my, my buddies, I don't nap well. My buddy napped a little better than I do. I did yoga in the tent you know, to yeah. help your back. Uh, you know, sometimes you just get up and say, hey, I'm going to go suffer in the wind just so I can at least walk around and stretch. You know, not my forte, but I was able to do it, you know, and, and get through it. So just just survive. Yeah. I'm literally like, as you said, books, because I normally do the same. I'll normally just use the Kindle app on my phone, but I'm like, pulling up my gear and checklist for my trip and i'm like do i have download books on there so i'm like double checking stuff yeah. as you're talking now i need yeah. to purchase some cortex socks yeah <laughs> so it breaks 11 a.m is the hunt on immediately yeah go back to our rock we're like where's this go and at this point we we were almost out of food um that, that was the other hilarious thing is i apparently eat a lot of food in the mountains which i always knew so i had packed lunch bags for myself my cameraman and my guide and i packed four bags we were planning to be there four days at this point it's day five and they both looked at the bags and were like who in the world's gonna eat all this food and so they each took two bags and then i took four and now we're on day five and I'm out of food. I have nothing. I'm completely out. And they, and they were both like, well, we, we've been rationing for a few days now because we've been watching you eat. <laughs> Luckily, they had some extra food left over for me. Uh, it's probably so. part of when you're bored and like want to get going, like I need to do something. I might as well eat, right? <laughs> So yeah, we had we they did luckily we had food left over so I could I could eat and I felt a little bit bad, but they were like, I oh, know we were planning for this. We talked about this in day two, and I was like, Oh thanks guys. <laughs> so uh, you know, we had food, um, but we we knew this is our last day. Like if we don't get something today, you know, we were gonna spend the night one more night, but it was like we have nothing left, you know, so we gotta go down after this. So we we waited for maybe an hour on that rock just to see as the fog lifted if something had bedded where visible nothing was visible and we said let's drop in and we dropped you know the 800 feet all the way down to timberline where it goes into a cliff 
and didn't pick up a goat, didn't pick up fresh tracks, no indication the goats had been in there that morning. I mean, maybe they were, but didn't see anything obvious. Um, and that was still hunting. I mean, we spent two hours just going over every knob, you know, about just mm -hmm. a snail's pace, just to see if you could catch the glimpse of white and there was nothing in there. So finally I was, there are two basins on this mountain. I was like, I'm going to go check the other basin because there's this one Billy that every time we get visibility, it's right on the edge of the cliffs at the very bottom where he bedded, you could see like his head or like an arm, like you could just get a glimpse of the white. And that's a good thing with goats. If they're there, you can often see them. And we've never got a great view. The views we had, we felt like it was a good Billy, but we had never had a great view of it. So we went over there and I came back. I'm like, I can see his whole head. It's turned perfectly. I think we're going to get a good enough view to judge it. Let's grab the spotter. So we went over there, um, glassed it up. And we're like, yeah, that's, it's at least seven years old. It's a mature Billy. Um, it's and the guy's like, I'm pretty confident it's a Booner. I felt the same way based off what I was seeing. So let's go get to a better glassing point and kind of wait him out. Cause we don't want to go down and shoot him right on top of cliff. You know, it's like an 800 foot cliff he's bedded on top of. So we get up to this glassing point and it's like two o'clock. He's like, we're going to wait till four because that it really, if it gets much after four, it's too late to drop into there. Um, and so we waited and waited and waited and he just sat there, didn't just chew and cud for two hours. And at three fifty-seven, he stood up and we're like, yes, wow. <laughs> and, he stood up and started feeding uphill, which is exactly what we were hoping you do based off. That's what all the other goats had been doing that we'd seen. We'd never actually seen this one in the afternoon, but we were hoping he would do this. So the second he got up, we're throwing packs on and we're going. And at this point, the whole time, I hadn't had to wear my crampons yet. Uh, and we get to the top, we drop in this basin and it's like a 50 degree slope, broken up blueberries and then cliff and then like a you know 30 foot cliff and more blueberries and a cliff. And we're following this goat trail down and there is zero chance, no possibility I could have got in there without crampons. I mean, would not have been possible. We would have just sat and watched that goat because it was that steep, that muddy, that wet, you know, you're holding on, you know, I had an ice axe in one hand, holding on to crampons in the other, or holding on to blueberries in the other and lowering yourself down. You know, that's just the terrain it was for that first five, 600 feet into this basin. So the crampons were absolute lifesavers must have. Um, our guide, he had corked boots, so like loggers, how they cork the bottom mm -hmm. of their boots. That's what we wore the whole time. My cameraman and I, we, ne we didn't have that. We just had crampons along, but we never felt like we needed it until we dropped into here. So we dropped down and then it gets to like kind of this rolling subalpine, you know, you get about 800 feet of that before you hit the cliffs. And we just went one knob at a time, just trying to get visibility. And then we spotted a Billy over here and we're trying to get a spotting scope on him. And then he disappeared on us. And we're like, I don't think that's our Billy. Let's keep working down. Oh, there's a Billy over here. And then he'd go behind a tree. And, you know, we ended up seeing three Billies before we found mine. And in fact, we had just spotted one that we were trying to get a move on. Okay, let's get, get to this rock and we'll get a view. And my guide was walking like six yards ahead of me. And all of a sudden he's like, you know, stop right now. And the goat was 39 yards away, my Billy, um, just feeding up this shoe. And the wind is in our face. The it, he saw the movement of the of the guide, but the guide immediately drops drops down. And what he told me later is he could just literally see the, his forehead and his horns. That's it. That's all he could see. So he's sitting here, and I'm and I'm like six yards away, and I can see pretty much his whole head, not his chest, but I can tell he's looking right at me. And he look at me, and then look at the guide, and then look at me, and then look at the guide. He was trying to figure out what he'd seen, but we were both frozen, both in camo. And so I'm slowly, every time we look at the guide, I'd get an arrow out and I get my arrow knocked, right? And I'm getting closer and closer. I now have my arrow knocked. 
I have my release clipped and then I'm just waiting for a word from the guy. But I knew this wasn't a good shot angle either. He was in a nasty shoe. Um, and the guy was like, we want him to come up. He was motioning to me, we want him to come up. Don't shoot him down there because he's going to go into the cliffs. Um, but he had given me the thumbs up. And then I was also getting binoculars on. I've seen enough goats. I was pretty confident in my judging too. And both of us agreed he's a shooter. So we knew we wanted to shoot him. We couldn't shoot him where he was and wait for him to come up. And and it was pretty t- clear from his body language. He knew something was up, but not what. Mm-hmm. So we have the whole thing. I have two different camera angles on. We have a GoPro and my camera guy, the whole thing. It was six and a half minutes of him looking between me and the guide, me and the guide. And this whole time, it's funny. When you look at the camera, I'm shaking like a leaf when it first starts. Like my whole body is shaking. I'm so yeah. excited. My heart's going like 190 beats per minute. And I, so I start doing again, I've been, I've been envisioning this, right? I know what I'm going to do. So I start box breathing. I breathe in for six seconds, hold it for six seconds out for six seconds. And I got my heart rate all the way back down to like resting heart rate. And it, that six minutes was just awesome because I was just able to calm myself down. Okay. I'm ready for this. I visualize just over and over again, the shot process level, you know, get the level, the bubble leveled release, you know, don't pull, don't jerk, you know, just follow through. I just had it just over and over again. I'm visualizing this and I'm not looking at horns. I'm just like, when he, you know, I, I ranged all the spots and I was like, when he steps on this rock, that's when I'm, when I'm shooting. And so he, after six and a half minutes, he takes two steps and then stops again and looking between me and the guide. And then then he finally was like, okay, he starts feeding. And I'm like, okay, he's calming down. Like he's going to come. He feeds up a couple more steps. And as he's feeding, he takes that last, he puts his front foot on that rock, head down, eating grass. And I draw back full draw. And then he, and then he sees me. I can see it in his eyes. I'm only 32 yards at this point. I can see in his eye that he sees the movement, but instead of stopping right there, he takes the last step onto that rock and then stops, turns broadside and then looks at me. And I just settled the bubble and watch the arrow go and just didn't hit it didn't hit the rib or anything just right through it was a little higher than i wanted but it felt like a good shot um and it was just a perfect hit it was just exactly what you wanted blood just starts pouring down his side he takes two more steps and i'm scrambling to get another arrow out and what happened is my release got caught on like it it turns 90 degrees so it's not in your way when you're hiking and yeah. it turned down and i'm like tr- i'm like shaking my hand <laughs> trying to get that release and that's the only reason i couldn't get another shot is because i couldn't get that release on my bow but he takes two more steps and uh, turns the other way and his whole other side just bl- like i mean a third of his body is red you know just it's all blood and we're just like dude like we got this and then he goes down the hill and i'm expecting i mean the deer I shot a couple of years ago with my bow, almost identical shot, 37 yards. He took four steps and tipped over backwards. Like it was the same, you know, double lunged him and he fell over. That's what I'm expecting. Like, okay, double lunged this guy, perfect shot, blood everywhere. You know what I mean? He's dead. And so we waited, but my guide comes over. He's shaking. I'm, I'm pumped up. My cameraman's giving me a hug. We're like, dude, can you believe it? Like it happened, but we were being silent. We weren't making a sound. We're like, just give it time so we give it like 15 20 minutes and we're like okay with that much blood he should be dead by now so we go down find the arrow immediately just covered in blood bubbles in the blood exactly what you want to see you could walk at like a a fast clip and oh there's blood there's blood there's blood there's blood there's blood you know everywhere you go made it about 200 yards and then all of a sudden he starts going side milling and going uphill through these shoots and we're like you're kidding me like how is this possible so and now the blood speak and my guy told me later he's like hey goats clot fast because they have so much hair mm-hmm. so um it's the, the blood's going away it's now 
five, six yards between blood drops. Now it's getting down on your knees to find just the littlest drops of blood. Okay, which way did he go here? You know, he's no longer taking game trails. He's definitely trying to get away from us. And we've gone almost 500 yards um, and still couldn't find him. And my and we pulled out the rifle by this point because we're really close to these cliffs. I mean, it's an 800 foot cliff. And uh, and we pulled out the rifle and we're, we're just, you know, he goes, he drops into this, this creek. And I mean, literally the creek, when you get to the creek, it's about 10 foot cliffs straight into the water. And the, up the, above the cliffs is about a 50, 60 degree slope of just nasty. You can see three, four yards through the brush. And we're laying on our stomach, looking under the brush, like he's got it, you know, he's got to be in here. Finally, we circled down below and we came in there and he gets up out of his bed and is trying to sneak out on us. This is an hour and 25 minutes later. Um, and so I grabbed the rifle and dropped him. And I was just like, I'm calling this an archery kill, but I don't want to hide the fact it's not going to be a Pope and Young goat because I finished it with a, with a right. rifle. Yeah. Um, but he, he died six yards from an 800 foot cliff. <laughs> If if we had not dropped him there, we never would have got him, you know, and it was just like, to me, it's a no brainer. It wasn't even a question. Yeah. Um, I'm still going to call it my archery kill. Officially, it's a rifle kill. I understand that. Um, and he died. He rolled down into this creek and but we didn't hear a splash. And we're like, OK, where where is he at? Like we drop into the creek. We can't find him. Like it's only 30 yards between us and the creek. Where is this thing? We've fallen under a dead log and like one leg was sticking out. And it, even when we got to him, we have it all on video. It took us like four minutes just to even see his head because he was so tangled up and we had to tie ropes to him to get him out from under this log and then tie him to trees. We have three of us there. It's the sun's going down in like 45 minutes. We're 1300 feet below camp in Alaska. And my guide's like, we have to go fast. No pictures. Like you can take pictures as we're doing it. That's it. And so we're just like, I'm holding onto the rope. We're burying his horns in the dirt. We had, we did measure his horns. So we knew he was a good goat. He was 10 and a half inches. You know, he had great bases. We knew it. we were thrilled. Ended up being a nine and a half year old Billy, which is just awesome. Right. That's great. Yeah. And we butchered, we got that thing and we're rolling the guts off the cliff. So they're as far away from us as possible. Uh, we covered the thing in a tarp and uh, we got out of there about 15 minutes after the sunset and just, and, and he was like, we're getting, you know, we're getting out of here as fast as we can. I don't want to be climbing up that cliff in the dark. And we, I mean, we climbed 1300 feet in like 31 minutes. Like we just flew up that hill, <laughs> um, you know, and uh and we made it all the way to the top and got up there and just drenched in sweat, you know, because the guy, he was like, we're not going to be down here in the pitch black. Like that's our rule. We're not down in this stuff in the dark. So got out of there and I was just jazzed beyond belief. You know what I mean? I, I just shot, you know, a Booner Billy with my bow, you know, yes, I yeah. with, the rifle. with my bow, I'm jacked. So we got to camp and I'm texting my dad and texting my wife and texting my family. And I'm just jazzed, you know, and, um, next morning we got up and worked our way down there. We got the goat by 7am and, uh, we had to, we ended up having to lower him with rope down this Creek, even though it's like these 10 foot cliffs into the Creek, there was a pool, like a 20 foot wide pool with a small little gravel bar on it. And then a 40 foot waterfall right below us. And that's where we, we lowered him with ropes down to there so we could butcher him and, uh, you know, boned him out, caped him, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it took us about two and a half hours and then climbed up that hill, not in 31 minutes, you know, this yeah. time. <laughs> we, had, we had 140 pounds of meat plus the full body cape and the skull that we took up. Dude. Uh, and 
Yeah. So we uh, luckily we had three people, so we were able to split it three ways. It was about seventy, you know, seventy pounds of goat each that everyone right. was carrying, plus what was in your pack. Um, and got up to camp, made it to camp. I don't know if I recall correctly, one or two. Had a quick bite to eat, packed as much up as we could. My guide actually ended up leaving some of his stuff up there to go retreat later, and he was like, "I, I can't do it all." And then we all we all started hiking out, and it was thirty two hundred feet back down to the bottom in the mud. Uh, I had my pack as loaded down as it can physically get. <laughs> you know, I mean, everything full, the meat shelf loaded, and it, we all were carrying just over a hundred pounds, um, and then just worked our way out. And uh, made it all the way down. I mean, going down creeks and through brush and all that kind of stuff, and yeah. got out right at dark. So seven o'clock, seven a.m. at the go. About eight p.m. Finally made it down to the bottom. Um, and then, yeah, and it was. I had a, a grin as big as could be in my face the entire day. It was the best. It was the best thing ever. I was just loving Dude. every second. Of it. So cool, man. When you're coming down that much elevation and and the moisture and then that heavy of a pack like practical tips for people um like i've I've done that you know thinking of similar situations ish like in kodiak with a full black tail for example and um yeah i mean you have to be cautious and calculated in your steps and whatnot but for people who haven't had experiences like that what do they need to know or like what are some things that you keep in mind yeah, so crampons were lifesaver in that scenario, and especially just because the ground's so moist there, right? Every step you take, you slide and move, right? So having that crampon just give you that extra grip was helpful. Um, I had this, it's called uh, a mountain stick from Mountain Gear at New Zealand. They're made in New Zealand where it's a, it's basically a trekking pole with an ice axe head on it. And I used that thing so much, this whole trip, not just the pack out, but I mean, when you go on the steep hills, I'm just pounding that ice axe head right into the ground and lowering myself down on it. So I had one trekking pole, one, and then the ice axe is what I had going down. And I love that thing. I mean, that thing's going to become a common tool in my arsenal, no doubt about it. Uh, and like you said, just picking those steps, uh, knowing, you know, I had the bow on my back, which was particularly difficult because it was a really brushy mountain. I, you know, I lost arrows a couple of times and it was just ducking under branches and that kind of stuff. That was a real pain. My guide a couple of times, you know, he had his Heli Hansen rain gear on and he'd hit a, he'd hit a steep kind of muddy little slope, but he had to drop 10 feet and he would just sit in his butt and just kind of slide mm-hmm. down. And I'd have that opportunity with the bow on my back, you know, so it was just working your way slowly and, you know, take the rest when you need it. Uh, anytime you find a stump that you can kind of get your pack rested on without taking it off is what I try to go for. Um, just stop. But honestly, it's on the physical fitness is the biggest thing, right? Like for me, that's the, the two things I mentioned earlier, the two things I love about hunting. I love being in the mountains and seeing animals and I I'm a fitness fanatic. I just love being fit. You know, so working out for me is never the hard part. Shooting my rifle is way harder than working out for me. That's just me personally. So I had switched this year for the first, I was always a CrossFitter with a little bit of like trail work and stuff. And this year I switched to like trail running 20 to 30 miles a week, CrossFit once or twice a week. And I've never felt better in the mountains than I did this year. I dropped 15 pounds. Um, My cardio, like I never once was cardio even remotely an issue. My legs felt great. You know, I was fully capable of hiking out the weight. That wasn't the issue. It was just um, just taking your time, don't hurt yourself and, and get yourself out of there. Uh, and then ducking under the, the brush, that was the most annoying part for sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm having 
I've never been in Southeast Alaska, but I've been in some stuff again on Kodiak, especially that was like terrible. And I'm, I'm remembering that trying to remember that well, and then just prepare for that. Cause it's funny. I don't know how other people handle that, but I get in situations where it's like extremely brushy like that. And then especially as you get caught on stuff and stuff's pulling at you and you're pulling at stuff, like I don't know if this is normal, but like my default reaction is just to get really angry because it's so, it's just like really frustrating and it's not even like, I don't, I don't explain it. It's not the physical thing or like frustration. It's like true anger. Like it shouldn't be this hard to move, you know? And I just like get mad. Uh, But now that I know that about myself, it's easier to prepare for it. Yeah, you're not used to that pack being so big. So like my pack was above my head. It's slightly wider than me. And it's and it makes you sit your every direction, you're bigger than you're used to, right? And mm-hmm. so you're like, oh, I'm ducking under this branch. Oh, never mind. I'm not at all ducking under that branch. You yeah. know, and, and it's just getting used to that. Either I don't think there's really a lot. I mean, I guess you could load down a pack really big and try and go find brush. I'm not gonna do that, you know. <laughs> yeah, but no, no. Just, I think it's just a matter of you just suck it up and and live with it. But yeah, I, so you sometimes get, you start cussing out a branch, like you stupid branch, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. the devil's club is worse. That was the stuff. Yeah. Like, there's once there's like one 200 yard stretch. It was like pure devil's club. And it was just like, it, luckily we were almost done. And it was just, dude, this is so bad. <laughs> we were mm-hmm. so bad at that stuff, but yeah, we made it through. You talked about the two sets of ringer earlier, one being rubber. The other one was a, uh, you know, a Gore-Tex like Sitka set mm-hmm. was, which one was that? Which Sitka set was it? Sitka Jet Stream, I believe it is. Okay. Um, yeah. I think, if I recall correctly. Yeah. But yeah, so, so I, I wore on the way up. Like anytime I was planning on going through a lot of brushes, when I would wear the rubber. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, most of I wore the rubber pants. Uh, it was mm-hmm. only when I was outside in like the driving rain that I would wear the rubber jacket. Uh, or on the way up, you know, specifically we did. Luckily, it wasn't raining on the way out. So I, I wore, I did wear the rubber pants going down just because I knew how much brush I was going to be in. And if you're not, you're just going to get soaked in your legs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the but the pants or the coat, I wore the Sika jacket most of the time once I made it up on top of the mountain. So that was at least my approach. And What did you have for regular pants? Like just regular non-rain hunting pants? Yeah. Kuyu katana pants is what I was wearing. Um, okay. they, they, they've been the perfect kind of mid layer. I don't want, I don't like the more heavily insulated, even just slight insulation. They have the side vents and stuff, but they're not the ultra lightweight. Like I've worn sometimes in November, I've worn like the, the Kuyu, I think it's a Tiburon for like the desert hunting. Yep. I As long as you're wearing long johns underneath it, they can do pretty well. I like that breathability, but I, the, to me, the Kutana is the one I found that has like that right in between. It's still quite light, but it, but without any fleece lining or insulation or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I wore that the whole trip. And then I had, you know, the zip off Kuyu long johns uh, that I would take on and off as necessary. Yeah. So that's what I was using. Yeah. I've been trying to, I don't want to, I don't want to, as you said, go into anything, not even heavy, but just even thicker uh, pant wise, like try and keep something light. If there's any possibility that something can dry, something lighter and thinner is going to dry. But again, maybe nothing will dry. Um, and then fully anticipating that part of the time, maybe I don't even have the pants on. Maybe I just wear like a thin base layer pant with rain gear, you know, and just not even technically be wearing what most people think of as pants. I was going up before I did. I had nothing I had underwear under the rain gear going up. Uh, and then that way I kept all that stuff dry until I got up there. So those pants stayed mostly dry until that hurricane came in. That's when I finally kind of soaked through enough to get the pants wet. 
But even mm-hmm. then, I just wore the bed, and I I always have a synthetic bag. I I just in that weather, I just don't rely on down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, my my camera guy had down, and his bag just never got loft. <laughs> From day one, he was cold every night. You know, yeah. whereas I what were temps? Uh, lows in the mid forties, highs in the upper fifties. Every if it got sunny, you might get into 60, 61 kind of okay. temperature. So it wasn't so much cold, right? It was wet and cold. So I had a thirty-two degree. It's an it was an REI bag that I've had for years. Uh, that's fully synthetic, thirty-two degree. And then I would I went to bed like those two nights we were really wet. I mean that bag I could wring water out of. And I went to sleep. And as long as you stayed on your pad, that was the big thing, right? You can't roll off your pad. As long as you stay on your pad, I had my soaking wet pants, soaking wet long johns, soaking wet socks. And I just left them on. And I'd get in that synthetic bag that was soaking wet. And I wake up in the morning and it was all mostly dry. That was the only stuff that actually dried out. The the stuff we hung on our clothesline, yeah, they didn't dry out. The stuff you put into dry bags would still get wet. It would like find a way into the dry bag. The stuff mm-hmm. I was actually wearing, it that my body heat got it dry. So that that synthetic bag to me is a real lifesaver in, in those temperatures in particular. It's not so much the cold that's getting you, it's the wet that's getting you. Yeah, as if people have been listening to the podcast and heard me talk, I've been regretting the I not regretting, I've been hesitant to go to full synthetic for this trip, but I know I need to. <laughs> I just don't want to. Like I'm just if once I've been using down for so long and again it's it's because it's not in these types of conditions but once you get used to like the packability of down and everything else it's so nice and then to start like I used a synthetic on bear hunt this spring just to use it again. Um and I was like, "Oh man, it's so bulky and like I have to compress it. I can't just like loose pack and, you know, pack around it and blah 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 and it doesn't it doesn't feel as nice and whatever. So I, I don't want to, I just know I have to. And I know that I'm a hundred percent not going to regret it. Yeah. So for me, I do synthetic. I have a synthetic 32 bag. I do have a synthetic zero, but I've actually, I think I've only used it once because it's that thing's so bulky. So when mm-hmm. I go down to zero, that's when I take my, uh, my treated down, right? Because the, the thought is, if it's freezing every night, not that you can't get wet, you can still get wet, right. but you know, the freezing, you don't get the same wet. It's a totally different kind of wet. I think that treated down is pretty darn good for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the soaking wet that down just doesn't cut it. So my, my puffy is synthetic, you know, my jacket, my, my pants are synthetic, my bag's synthetic. And one night I had, I, I wore my puffy cause I was cold and it was wet and it comes out dry. You know, you get in that sleeping bag, you sleep in it and you're, you know, it, warms you up and gets you dry. And I find with that, with puffy pants and a puffy jacket, plus my 32 degree bag, I can survive about the 20, 25, 20, you get uncomfortable, 25, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and then when it, if, and when it gets wet in those situations, I have the ability to dry things out without needing a fire and that kind of stuff. And fires up there were not easy to come by. That's for sure. We tried a couple of times, but yeah. not easy. Did you pack the puffy pants on this trip or not? Because the I did not, no, I did not take puffy pants, and I didn't. I didn't ever feel like I needed them. I was fine without the puffy pants. I did use the jacket multiple times, but not the pants. You mentioned the Gore-Tex socks. Anything else that stands out that you would have maybe done different? The, the uh, my guide took a tarp up, like a full-on twenty by sixteen tarp, I think, and we were real glad we had it. I think he also took, like we laughed at him when we got up there. He took like this whole roll of like, not not parachute cord, but lightweight, like twine to tie it up. I think it was like 
five or 600 feet of twine. He used every foot of it. Every wow. single, you know, and like when that, when that windstorm came in, he was out there just tying that thing down over it. Like he would come out every couple hours and tie it down again. And, Oh, I'm going to go adjust this tie line. And, you know, they, I, I never, I had a, like a glassing tarp and which we did set up in addition to that tarp, you know, over our tent. And, you know, it was definitely helpful to have, but it would have been a lot more miserable without that tarp. Could I have survived it? Yes, I could have. It would have been a lot more miserable without that tarp. So, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to say, hey, you guys should take a tarp. But if you're looking at the forecast, it's like, man, there's like two plus inches of rain multiple days we're up there. It may be worth the wait. You know, yeah. it's, it may be worth considering, you know, and, and just saying, you know what, it is what it is. We're going to take that weight and have that tarp because have that have something you can get under and when you step out of that tent yeah everything's still wet and yes the ground's wet but at least you're not getting the sheets of rain going down the back of your jacket and that kind of stuff you know and it was pretty nice uh the Voltex socks i ordered i had along the ice axe i used it all the time i had along crampons they were absolute necessities uh, I had the two pieces of rain gear. I got the rubbers. I've never actually hunted in rubbers in the mountains before. And it's something I think will be more in my arsenal in the future. It, it wasn't, you know, if you move slow, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Uh, and it, you're not destroying your rain gear with it. So those were kind of the big ones I did right. The Gore-Tex socks is the one I never even thought of that I would have added to that arsenal and then keep the tarp in mind because it, it was pretty nice to have that up there. I don't yeah. think it would have broken the hunt to not have it but it sure made it a lot more tolerable i think i have all the above except for the gore-tex socks and i'm now staring at an amazon screen to <laughs> decide which pair i'm going to purchase after we hang up so that was helpful for sure <laughs> that's cool and did you so you was that roughly roughly day five day six then that you guys were back out so day six we got out yeah so day five i shot it day six we got out and we, and in that time we hunted two afternoons. That's all we had, you know, because of weather. <laughs> Crazy. What did the rest of your trip look like? Cause you originally had more time booked and I'm sure flight schedule. Did you stay up there? Did you just kind of shift the whole plan to get home? Yeah. Once we got to town, we stayed up one more day just to, we had to go to fish and game to check in the skull. And then we, um, you know, we butchered, we cut, we cut up our own meat, got it in, got it all weighed into fish boxes, you know, 50 pounds each for flying home. Um, just explored town, you know, we'd never, you know, never really been in the area. So explored town a little bit and, uh, got, went out for pizza, which was amazing. Ate like a pizza and a half, you know, one of those kind of nights. Um, and, uh, and then we, I moved my flights up two days. We, we flew out on what would have been day eight of the hunt, but first yeah. thing in the morning and paid a, paid a couple hundred bucks to do that. But, you know, I, I kind of figure, you know, every day you're away from your family is a day you're cutting into potentially other hunts. You know, I plan, I'm going elk hunting here tomorrow is my first day and you know i'm gonna get some elk hunting in and it was like man if i can get home even two days earlier that makes a big difference so yeah it was it was worth paying extra to get home so nice did you travel home with the goat then too? just check it like you did to me yeah, it. yeah. uh so i i actually when i booked i specifically i i have points with alaska air and i booked first class because it was only like a twelve thousand point upgrade for the ticket <laughs> and but you mm -hmm. get two free check bags Yep. So my oversized bag, I had a gun, a, ca a hard case for the rifle and the bow. It was a big old, I mean, it weighed like 78 pounds, right? And that's oversized. Um, and because you're first class, I just had to pay a $50 oversized bag fee. That's mm -hmm. it. And then my second bag was free. So then I had, you know, with the, I had three, two fish boxes of meat and one of the hide and skull. So 150 bucks, 50 bucks per bag. 
so I paid a total of two hundred dollars extra to get the goat and all my stuff home. I feel like that was a pretty fair. And by the way, flying first class, I never done that before. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Hello, Mr. Vandergeese, and here's your meal. And I was like, well, this is very nice. I think I would like to do this more. <laughs> yeah, that's um, awesome. But it, honestly, if, if I penciled it out. I just ran the numbers, and it's like, man, I'm saving. You know the cost increase is minor relative to what I'm saving in luggage costs, you know? So it was right. a no brainer on this particular hunt to do first class. So yeah. Loving the high life, man. Yeah. <laughs> World traveler. That's cool. Do you, do you know what you're going to do with this goat? Uh, I'm doing a, so I'm doing full body with last, with my last year goat. Cause it was just a November hide. And then this one, I'm doing a pedestal mount getting kind of a, um, you know, rocky or getting an Alaska, uh, habitat, you know, behind it and get yeah. that up. So I did yeah. keep the whole hide and, uh, it's a, you know, it's a early November, early September hide. So the hair is nothing like my November hide. It's still a pretty good hide. I mean, it would have looked great. It'd be looked just fine as a full body, but not as good as November one. And so I, uh, um, my wife said, actually, I'm going to tan the whole hide and then she's going to make me a, a mountain goat line trapper hat that I can oh, wear. Oh, there you in. go. How cool will that be? Like you're actually Heck out yeah. there got a trapper hat that's like lined with mountain goat fur. I, I, we'll see. I would assume it's going to be about as warm as you can get, but you know, I yeah. guess we'll see. I plan to do elk leather for the outside and then goat fur for the inside and just Dude, that's going to be awesome. They look dorky, but I don't know. It's just cool. I think it's a cool. It's idea. Super cool. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's exciting. Well, congrats on not only the goat, but the whole experience is, you know, I know, you know, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, but that's, it is what makes it right. Like there's special animals. Um, but yeah, just what, what it requires to get into goat country, to live among them and et cetera, and pursue them is, uh, as much the appeal as the animal itself. And it's a cool, majestic animal. A hundred percent. You're nailing it. And I, I, I will go back. Like I cannot wait to get back up there. I already talked to the outfitter. I'm like, when can I go back? And he's booked out through 2025. I'm like, okay, I'm on the list for 2026. Like I'm not booking 2026. Yet. I'm like, well, put me on the list. Like I, I <laughs> I'm on the wait back. list for the wait list. Yeah. yeah. Like, I want to do this. If anyone cancels, you call me. Like I, I want to come back. I, I just, I can't get enough of it, man. It's just, <laughs> I, you know, I have an elk tag and I'm going elk hunting here. Tomorrow is my first day. And all I can think about is mountain goats. Like I, I don't even care. Like whatever, <laughs> elk cool, you know. And I'm sure don't get me wrong. I mean, I have a blast elk hunting, but sure. I, I want to go go hunting again. It's, it, it's like in my blood. I just, I love it. It's so fun. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time. I know you just got back and between hunts and catching up on family and work. And I selfishly wanted to speak with you just because I'm getting ready to take off and learn things like Gore-Tex socks, but I figured I might as well hit record and make it a second podcast. So, Well, good luck. I can't, I can't wait to hear how your hunt goes and uh, hope yeah, you guys man. can get into the boats and survive the weather and not, not be weathered in your tent the whole trip. So. Yeah, that's <laughs> the hope. Well, that is a wrap. Hopefully I have had some good hunting weather um, as this episode is being released. I'm excited for what's to come this fall with the podcast and hearing from all of you guys. If you have any hunts that you've completed or that you're going on soon, be sure to reach out. Let us know how it goes. Send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. Would love to hear your story and see your photos. And as part of that, we also have listener story episodes coming, including the quote unquote after stories from the before and after the hunt series that we've done earlier this summer. 
Even if you weren't a part of that, if you have a great story from some hunts or if you have questions, either way, reach out, let us know, send that email to podcast at exomontgear.com. It'd be great to hear from you. If you're still hunting this fall, best of luck, enjoy every moment, and we'll talk to you soon.